0: It's the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, keeping you informed on what's going on right here in Kentucky. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to the Andrew Cooper Writer Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint. As always, I'm your host. Andrew Cooper Thank you all so, so much for tuning in today. Wonderful. Wonderful Tuesday, Getting a little bit colder out there. You know, as we're getting into the winter time coming up there on Thanksgiving, um, as always, you can reach out to the show by emailing info at the Once again, that's info at the Now, if I'm to be honest with y'all who are listening to this, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather as I'm recording this. So please If you hear my voice crack or something like that, forgive me. I'm not going through puberty. Uh, That happened some time ago. No, I am just dealing with a little bit of a cold, a little bit of a cold. Now, as always, you can catch the Andrew Cooperator Show Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. on WZXI. That's WZXI, which is 1280 a.m. at 94.1 FM and 95.5 FM There in the kind of like the Lancaster, Nicholasville, Lexington, uh, you know, Danville, um, Stanford, Richmond area, uh, Berea area. You can catch it there each day at 9 a.m. And then you can catch it at 1 p.m. everywhere else, all major podcasting platforms, places where you watch those videos. You can catch the show there. I thank you all for joining us. We've got a pretty big, action packed uh, hour here for you there's a, really the big news is and i shared this out on my social media or, or something i came across that i think is is pretty concerning and it deals with this lgbtq youth conference rural youth conference so apparently here uh, this past weekend november 18th was kentucky's first rural lgbtq youth conference Which was put on due to a grant from a 501c3 called It Gets Better. That's the name of the nonprofit that put on that, that provided the grant to put on this event. Let me tell you, when you look at that guest list, speakers list, it's really the who's who of groomers, the real, real big who's who of groomers. But, you know, Before we we go into the speakers and who's attending and who's speaking at these things, these awful, horrible pieces of human debris, before we dig into these groomers, I think it is important that we remind everybody that this isn't happening in California. This isn't happening in New York. This isn't happening in Louisville or Lexington. This isn't just happening in those places. This is an event with these speakers Pushing these ideas that took place in rural Kentucky. Now, some of you may be sitting there saying, "Andrew, you know, an LGBTQ youth conference—it's kind of different." But you know, why why do you have such a big issue with it? Why do you have such big problems with it? Well, you know, first and foremost, as we know that as we've pushed more and more of this LGBTQ agenda on kids, we've seen more and more children, uh, quote unquote, falling victim to it. And that's not to say. And what, well, what we mean by falling victim is remember, you know, you see higher suicide rates, all these other things, and it's certainly seeing an explosion, definitely seeing an indoctrination in this as far as it goes. But the other thing uh, that, that I have a real big problem with is, is, you know, we don't have conferences to have kids specifically talk about straight sex. In fact, we don't actually talk about, quote unquote, heterosexual sex. And, and talking about kids having sex with one another because that's that's the other part of this is that this is where I, I don't understand how this is all the time illegal. I don't understand how, you know, we don't have current laws on the books to help deal with some of these things because, you know, take – it would be illegal for a bunch of kid kids uh, to be thrown into a room where a, a bunch of adults that aren't their parents – talk to them about having sex with other children. And I don't mean just talk to them about it in a scientific sense. That wouldn't be illegal, but I'm talking about showing pornographic images. I'm talking about uh, discussing it. And, and and also too, we have to ask a question about what kind of person, what kind of psychopath, what kind of pedophile really um, enjoys speaking ad nauseum and at length about who kids have sex with. It's disgusting. It's gross. That's not something we should accept. But yet that's what the conference is all about. And now people want to compare this, like I said, and say, well, well, you know, you talk about heterosexual sex with kids and everything else. No, no, no. We talk about mammalian reproduction. We talk about the reproductive system, anatomy, those types of things with uh, kids at the right age in school where they're ready to learn about how humans reproduce. Uh, we talk about that with them at that point. There's no scientific value to teaching about lesbian, gay, and bisexual. And remember, too, so, so they want to say, look, Andrew, this is not all sexual. It's about gender identification. Uh, what do you identify as? Well, first off, that may be true for transsexual. Maybe that has nothing to do, per se, with who that kid is sleeping with. Um, but it certainly doesn't hold true for lesbian, gay, and bi. That is literally based upon who you find sexually attractive. Having conferences based upon who children are finding sexually attractive, minors specifically. It's gross. It's disgusting. It should be illegal. Like I said, we, we talk about straight kids because it has a scientific value, not straight, quote unquote, straight sex, but you know we talk about heterosexual sex and reproduction has scientific value, but we don't sit there and talk to kids about just messing around with a bunch of other people and making them feel reaffirmed. Cause that's, that's the other part of this, right? How do you, you know, it used to be we as a culture, generally speaking, accepted the idea that it wasn't a good idea for children to be engaging in sexual contact with one another, not married and under the age of 18. We used to say that that was, of course, something that was a problem. We didn't want to encourage that because, well, we had the spread of diseases, pregnancy, of course, um, and, and a litany of issues as to why we just felt it wasn't healthy for children to be doing that. But ever since that happened, ever since this LGBTQ youth BS has come onto the scene, ever since then, we have decided to throw any kind of you know, normal thinking when it comes to children and uh, sexual relations and instead throw all standards and everything out the window and reaffirm and say it's healthy slash affirmative to push children uh, to talk about their sexuality when they're minors and to engage in that kind of behavior, that that's, that's a good thing to do. And I think it's quite clear that It's not, I think it's quite clear. I think if you're listening to the show in general, you're going to agree with me that this is weird. It's weird, and you wonder how it's not illegal. Saying the words that, you know, obviously the people who are engaging in this, people who are obsessing about having conferences where kids are talking about this stuff, clearly weird, groomers, uh, pedophilic comes to mind. I mean, these are the same people pushing these books have very graphic details about sexual encounters, and they want kids to be able to read it. And if you stick up there and say, I don't want those books in my public library, I don't want those books at our school library, if you stand up there and say that, well, they call you a book banner. They tell you you're a bad person, you're an awful person, that you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, and the same people that use, have to ask people their pronouns and invent words. Same people can't define a woman sit there and tell us to follow the science while they themselves are, of course, not following any kind of science at all other than what they make up and their current made up science says, this is good. We're supposed to be talking to kids about these things happening here, a rural Kentucky LGBTQ youth conference. It's ridiculous. It's not just the conference. They also had some speakers at it. And I want to go over who those speakers are, as well as how this event gets funded. Because, well, it's coming from your pocket. Well, I have all that and more. After this short break, you're listening to The Andrew Cooperator Show. We'll see you here in just a few minutes. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy. But you know what is? Going to Aruba. And you're back with the Andrew Cooperwriter Show, your source for Kentucky political news and commentary from a constitutional and conservative viewpoint. As always, if you've got thoughts, comments, questions for the show, feel free to email us at info at Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. So before the break, we are talking about this LGBTQ rule Youth Conference, a conference dedicated to who minors are engaging in sexual contact with a weirdo fest, to say the least. And I mentioned that when you get a look at the people who spoke at and who ran this, what you're going to see is some of the worst amongst us, the dregs of society, people who are obsessed with all the wrong things, people who are obsessed with sexualizing children, people who are obsessed with with just, it's just disgusting. These people are disgusting. They're gross. Here they are. So speaking at the 2024 Rural Kentucky LGBTQ Youth Conference, uh, we've got uh, Dr. Jason Glass. Now you may remember Dr. Jason Glass as the the, uh, uh, former commissioner of education here in Kentucky. Of course, he quit, moved on to working for Western Michigan University, something he did. A lot of people speculate because, well, he was worried that Bashir was going to lose. He'd be out of a job, so he decided to go ahead and find a new place. Now, if you'll remember, while he was working as Kentucky Education Commissioner, uh, he, he came out and said that if a teacher did not want to go ahead and engage in uh, teaching kids about these types of things in this transgender theory weirdo whatever they didn't want to engage in it. Well, they needed to find another job. And something that was pointed out a few times by Cameron in the campaign, to which Bashir always responded by saying, Well, no, they're non political. They're supposed to be non political. Well, this guy is clearly not non political at all. He never was. According to uh, his bio here, while he was at the Kentucky Department of Education, um, he launched the LGBTQ toolkit for supporting LGBTQIA plus youth. Well, they just went from LG. Okay, so they said the LGBTQ plus toolkit for supporting LGBTQIA plus youth. Why didn't they just still stay with LGBTQ? Why'd they add the IA in there? That's weird. Anyways, it's just strange. And then they go back to using LGBTQ and they say and was a outspoken advocate for LGBTQ teachers and students. Well, he was supposedly not political, Bashir said. Bashir said this guy, his politics didn't get involved, but here they are for a conference now after the fact, saying he was an advocate for LGBTQ plus ideas. Something that is innately political. See, here's the thing. The left does this game, this weird inside-outside game where they change the definition of things. They, 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 They will take something like I don't know. They'll take something like uh, political. What's political? What is overtly should we not be talking about? What is what is uh, you know what is truth? What is fact? And then they'll just go ahead and use. Uh, um, they'll, they'll just make assumptions, or they'll go ahead and redefine that for them. So for an example, we say they would say uh, you're bringing politics in the classroom. By saying, hey, you know, we should ban this LGBTQ stuff in the schools. But bringing LGBTQ stuff into the schools in the first place, somehow not political. That's the stuff these people believe. They believe that bringing it in wasn't political. Only bringing it out is because, well, it disagrees with them. See, that's the way it works, really. If you disagree with them, well, then you're causing division. Then you're trying to make things political. Then you're just trying to destroy uh, uh, common good and decency. And then, if you agree with them, well, then you're not engaged in politics. Then, of course, anything you're saying or doing is okay. So, nice to see further proof that Bashir was gaslighting everyone when he said Dr. Jason Glass was not involved in politics in the classroom. Uh, false. Next, we have Dr. Bobby Glass, which uh, I do not believe is related. Is is the I don't believe is the wife of Dr. Jason Glass. I believe his wife's name is Sarah. Um, I don't know if she's related to Jason Glass at all, but Dr. Bobby Glass, woman here, uh, assuming a woman, is an assistant professor of special education and longtime LGBTQ advocate. She works with the JCPS Division of Diversity, Equality, and Poverty, advising on programs and policies for LGBTQ plus staff, and students as well as developing lgbtq plus healthcare curriculum at university of Louisville school of medicine and remember when they said you know when when uh, senate bill 150 passed and said hey look this this healthcare stuff this this affirming care this hormone therapy this gender change hormones uh these puberty blockers you know they're wrong they shouldn't happen everybody claimed look this wasn't happening in Kentucky uh this wasn't going on remember when they tried to say that well apparently there's an entire uh, uh person dedicated to developing lgbtq healthcare curriculum at the University of Louisville School of Medicine and by the way she's an advocate for LGBTQ plus. She is a she is a activist on top of it. So you have every single people talking about how does this happen? How's it captured? Why don't we trust medicine anymore? This person that is clearly an activist on these issues. This weirdo, Dr. Bobby Glass is the one creating the curriculum that all the doctors going through the school of medicine go to about how you should treat LGBTQ people. And I guarantee you that curriculum doesn't involve telling them, Hey, look, uh, maybe you're, you're just a little confused or maybe you're not, gay. Maybe you're just going through something. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, maybe it's not healthy to think you're born in the wrong body. Maybe it's not healthy to want to surgically change yourself and your body uh, because you're unhappy with it. And and if you don't get to do it, you're going to commit suicide. We generally call that a mental illness, not something we treat by giving them the surgeries. But, you know, not the case because Dr. Bobby Glass is stealing steering the uh, curriculum there. Next year, we got uh, Lane, looks like Lane Theriot, a longtime LGBTQ advocate and mother of an awesome trans child from a rural place. Lane is an influential blogger and has experience pushing past adversity and finding joy and potential in life. She has worked as a board member of Louisiana Trans Resource Network and many spaces to advocate for human rights, Oh, that's nice. She's a she's a influential blogger. Um, I've never heard of her. Don't know if you have. Um, and also, of course, has a trans child. If I had to guess, Lane Theriot uh, has decided to use her child as an opportunity to, of course, showcase uh, just just how much um, in order to be an accessory, right? In order to be cool. In order to fit in as well. Next, we got, uh, as he goes by, Big Gay Willie, uh, Willie Carver. That's what he goes by, Big Gay Willie. Willie Carver is an author advocate for marginalized youth focusing on Appalachian and LGBTQ youth and educator. The 2022 Kentucky Teacher of the Year, Carver's platform of lifting up youth uh, led him to testify before Congress and talk to President Biden. Uh, about advocating for LGBTQ youth. He's a board member of KY Youth Law Project and the LGBTQ advisor for KY 120 United. You know, Kentucky 120 United, that is a teacher's union. And for some reason, the teacher's union even needs an LGBTQ advisor here in Kentucky. The teacher's union needs one. On top of that, you have this guy who has clearly been pushing this LGBTQ uh, uh, you know, gender theory stuff on kids. Um, he's the one teacher of the year, what you'll find too. What, what do you, what do you notice here? Right. Dr. Jason glass taxpayer fu- funded position. You paid for him. Dr. Bobby glass taxpayer funded position over at JCPS and university of Louisville. You pay her salary. No one else you do. Lane Theriot, at least, isn't in Kentucky. Willie Carver, he was a former teacher, of course, used his platform to promote LGBTQ ideas or what have you, based upon his own admittance here. While he's a teacher in our public school systems being paid by uh, you, right? We have Keith Elliston here. He's, a, he's of course, a, a law practitioner, does some legal work for LGBTQ, and then you have uh, uh, this this disgusting individual, Jess Bowman. Now, Jess Bowman actually comments on a few Facebook and Twitter things, I believe, and I didn't realize, I didn't put two and two together to realize Jess Bowman is this piece of trash. So Jess Bowman is the co-founder and director of Camp Beacon. What is Camp Beacon? Well, Camp Beacon is an overnight, ages 13 through 17, youth camp For LGBTQ youth, that according to their website has uh, uh, gender neutral bathrooms and gender neutral sleeping facilities. So let me put to you this other way Jess Bowman, in her advocacy, takes a bunch of minors ages 13 through 17 doesn't care about their genders or anything, throws them all into a room for a sleepaway camp after all day having them talk about how they're sexually, what they're sexually attracted to and who they're sexually attracted to. And then they throw them in a room together. I'm sure that doesn't spell disaster at all. I mean, Jess Bowman is almost facilitating uh, uh, minors engaging in sexual contact with one another I, I don't know if she just gets her kicks from it. If she's a, I mean, clearly she's a weirdo. She's a freak, but come on, who does that? Who takes a bunch of 13 through 17 year olds, talks to them about sex all day, then throws them into a cabin, mixed genders cabin. You know, and these, these LGBTQ uh, parents coming away, wondering how their daughters got pregnant. Well, I thought you were gay. Well, it turns out you just threw it with a bunch of gender neutral, whatever. Well, I am gay mom the uh, person that got me pregnant identifies as a woman So you know I am gay I promise I just got pregnant from another woman that's that's the world we're living in and it's people like Jess Bowman pushing that forward real trashy individual uh, we're running up on break when we come back we'll finish this out got a few more stories to cover today. You're listening to the Andrew Cooperator show <laughs> It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. And you're back with the Andrew Cooper writer show. Your source for Kentucky political news and commentary. I've been digging into, so far today, this uh, Rural Kentucky LGBTQ Youth Conference, and the people who've been putting it on. I've covered a few of these individuals, Jason Glass, Bobby Glass, Willie Carver, Jess Bowman, all awful people who believe in sexualizing your children, who believe in projecting weird fetishes onto kids. Absolutely awful people. But I haven't went over how this is funded. How's this paid for? And this goes into, so you sit there and you say, Andrew, what can we do about this? So you're covering it. You're talking about it. I was unaware this was going on, maybe, is what you're saying. You were unaware that here in a ruby red state like Kentucky, we have things like LGBTQ-specific sleepaway camps. Or maybe you're unaware that they have conferences specifically dedicated to who minors find sexually attractive so maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, "Look, I, 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 um, I, uh, what do I do about this?" Well, let's let's see where they get their funding from, because if you see uh, uh, this event was able to go on because of a grant from a nonprofit called, um, it gets better, which according to their nine ninety, they've posted to their website receives thousands of dollars in taxpayer funds, thousands. Of dollars, And this event was held at the Gateway Regional Arts Center, which is, by the way, a former church, that is a taxpayer-funded venue receiving money from the National Endowment for Humanities, the Smithsonian, the Kentucky Arts Council, uh, of course, the state as a whole, the National Endowment for the Arts, all these taxpayer-funded sources. So you've got this taxpayer-funded side of it where you and I are paying for it. And you say, why isn't our legislature stepping in here and doing something about this? These, this isn't the first kind of event like this to go on. This same exact taxpayer-funded venue had a all-ages drag show exposing uh, minors to sexualized performances there. Um, something, once again, that should be illegal, but you know, I guess in this depraved society we live in, It's not the case. Can't seem to get it done. There was a bill last year, of course, that Senator Lindsey Tishner put forward to do just that, to address these drag shows, to make sure that, of course, children stop seeing them and stopped being forced upon this kind of uh, inappropriate behavior. But, um, of course, that bill died because, well, it's the Kentucky Senate, so they don't want to do anything. And then that continues to carry over into this because they could pass a law saying that, look, um, no tax dollars are going to go towards funding, putting forward these types of LGBTQ plus uh, events. We're not going to to put money to this. In fact, the state legislature, they're doing their budgets now. They could starting uh, this next year, 2024, starting in, what is it? Uh, what, July, June, July, whatever the fiscal year starts in 2024, they could start from right then defunding the Kentucky Council on the Arts. I mean, remember, they spent too much already. Uh, They spent so much that we're not getting our tax cut. And they ask, where do you want to make cuts at? Well, maybe we make cuts at the Kentucky Arts Council. Because remember, not only does it fund this uh, type of events, these types of weird things, but they also put money towards things like Voices of Kentuckiana, which is an LGBTQ choir whose stated purpose is to create acceptance for the LGBTQ lifestyle in Kentucky. And your tax dollars, thousands of your tax dollars, go towards funding that choir through the Kentucky Council of the Arts. Once again, taxpayer funded. Once again, the legislature could defund that tomorrow, but they don't. They failed to do so because do they lack the hitspa? Do they lack uh, the wherewithal? Do they not think this is a serious issue? I think this is a pretty big issue. I mean, we've got the Anderson County situation going on, parents being undermined. On top of that, you're having these weirdos gather together and push this kind of stuff right here in Kentucky. And our money's funding it. Your money's funding it. What's our legislature do about it? Well, you know. Uh, Well, you know, we got to do the important work. It's a budget year. I can't defund things on a budget year. I can only do that non-budget year, real things that legislators will say to people. You should call up your legislator and you should demand they stop funding these things right away. Call up to the LRC, demand to leave a message for your legislator saying just that. Well, let's see here. Um, Kentucky sports betting. Kind of little update here. Apparently, there has been a created a 650,000 online account, 650,000 online accounts for sports betting. And so far, uh, since um, September 28th, when betting became legal, so September, October, November, so it's really only been two months, 4266 million dollars have been bet mobily and our 21.2 on brick and mortar bringing the total to 447.8 million dollars has been gambled over the last two months now some could say that this is uh just an initial amount caused by well the fact that um well Just caused by the fact that this is new. The sports betting's new, Andrew. This will come down. But that's $2.6 billion a year that's being spent on gambling. Now, as I've said priorly, maybe you're for gambling, maybe you're against gambling. That's not really, I guess, the point. But what is weird is Governor Bashir saying this data, celebrating it celebrating that almost half a billion dollars in two months has been gambled by citizens. Now, I'm not saying gambled away. They could have won money, obviously. Now, we know overall, probably a large percentage of that they lost. I mean, um, what is it? Let's see. The average amount of sports betting money that gets that uh, goes to the house. So, according to article I just saw in Quora, about 60 to 80% of people who bet on sports loser money. So we're about half a billion dollars. And let's say 75% of that um, has gone, has people have profited. So that means somewhere around 330, what 330 million ish has been given to quote unquote, the house has been lost by people in the state. And this is something that this celebrates. He says, this is great. And like I said, if, 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 if you're for betting, that's okay. Maybe you think somebody should be allowed to bet. And that's your, your, your belief point. I'm not saying anything about whether or not people should be allowed to bet. And what I'm saying here, I just think it's not a good sign of a culture and of a society that we celebrate Kentucky's Kentuckians losing hundreds of millions of dollars in betting over the last several months. I just I don't see how that is a net positive for us to celebrate. I don't see why our leadership should be celebrating that at all. I think it, it if anything, it's a sign of a downfall of society. It shouldn't be celebrated, it should be looked at and said, Oh, this is an issue. Now, of course, Bashir has to parade this as a success. And you know, he he is unable to not point out how much money it's bringing in because, well, of course the assumption they would make is that, well, you know, this money was going to other states and now it's going to Kentucky. That's what you'd hear from people. You can bet in other states, can't bet here. And you'd hear that time and time again, but 650,000 new online accounts in Kentucky. I don't think there are 650,000 people sports betting in Kentucky before it was legalized. There wasn't this many hundreds of millions of dollars being lost by Kentuckians, In Kentucky, like I said, if you want to say it's a freedom thing, allow them to do it. They should have the freedom to gamble. So be it. Once again, I'd ask you why you think the horse industry deserves to have the monopoly on it that they have. But that's a completely different discussion, of course, about government-protected monopolies, uh, which is what we find in gambling. And so often it is a government-protected monopoly. But I, I, I find it hard to believe that we should be celebrating how much people are gambling it should just be a thing at the most definitely not something we celebrate coming up against the clock coming up after this we're going to uh dive into the kentucky juvenile justice commissioner step down a few other things you're listening to the andrew cooper show we'll see you back here in just a few short minutes and you are back with the andrew Cooperider show as i said at the top I'm dealing with a little bit of sickness today, so please forgive the sniffles, okay? Forgive the uh, the sniffs, all right? Forgive the uh, um, lowered voice, of course. Uh, I'm just dealing with a little bit, of, little bit of a cold here. Also, if you want to reach out to the show, you can email info at theandrewshow.com. Once again, that's info at theandrewshow.com. You know, for the last several... Uh, years, two years or so, the Kentucky Juvenile Justice uh, has had quite the problem. The D.J.J. Uh, Ken- Kentucky Juvenile Justice uh, Commissioner Vicky Reed has decided to resign after those two years. And to kind of encapsulate uh, how awful she is um, at her job, we had uh, v- we had riots breaking out at juvenile justice centers due to uh, bad conditions is what they claim or what have you um at these riots they're so understaffed they couldn't get them under control that a minor girl was uh violently sexually assaulted in front of a guard who was locked in a booth and couldn't come out to help her um you had failures to get opened a juvenile justice center you see the the legislature after that occurred said you know here's some money Let's go ahead and get a independent female only juvenile justice detention center built here in Kentucky to make sure we're not storing those two together and you know, failures to get that done. And then when they finally do have a place, I believe in Campbellsville or Campbell County, sorry, they have a juvenile detention center there in Northern Kentucky for females only now that they've done. And then that has had a litany of issues when it comes to guards, uh, you know, pepper spraying girls, punching them in the face, uh, inappropriate sexual contact, of course. Uh, and the list goes on and on of issues. So Commissioner Vicki Reed is resigning. Um, there has been a number of people to go through that position, and I think you'll continue to see a number more because quite frankly, um, and until Bashir starts taking this serious and says, hey, we need to solve these problems. He's going to keep struggling with, with actually dealing with it. Cause of course his response is throw money at the problem. And sometimes it's not always money to solve, uh, to solve the issues. Certainly not at all. Uh, on Friday, I heard Thomas Massey speak. I was in Boone County for a conservative event. I heard Thomas Massey speak about some national things. Um, going on. One is he mentioned that his prime act has been worked into the farm bill. Now, for those of you unaware, for the last 10 years, Thomas Massey has been trying to get the prime act passed. Now here in the United States, there are four companies that uh, handle 85% of meat processing and packaging and butchering here in the United States. And two of those are owned outside of uh, obviously uh, entities owned by groups that are foreign, uh, one of which is Chinese. China owns one of the four companies and they have this lockdown stranglehold on the meat processing industry. And a lot of that's to do with the USDA. You cannot go down to your local butcher and buy steaks anymore. If you want to go down and buy by the pound, by the steak, by the cut, it's called custom cuts. Well, you have to go to a USDA inspected processor. And the USDA inspection processing isn't just occasionally they come in, they take a look around like a health department score. No, they come in every day and inspect the facility. And it is the processors who have to pay for that inspection process. And that cost and expense of having the USDA go through that Locks out competitors, and that's why during COVID we saw massive amounts of what's called calling going on in uh, the pigs and, and cows and other things. Chickens, because there was no processors, there's nowhere for farmers to take them. They were ready to be slaughtered, and while they continued to feed them, it was going to cost money and they weren't going to be able to get them in anytime soon. So, farmers were having to just kill their animals that otherwise should have been uh, slaughtered and put on the shelf. Meanwhile. Our meat prices are going through the roof and they're over here just dumping meat, dumping good meat because they don't have a place to process it. What the Prime Act seeks to do is allow local processing by local processors uh, when it's sold to in-state. So if you you are a, a local resident, you can go down to your local butcher shop and buy meats by the cuts like a butcher would like like back in the days with the butcher shops. And so he's been trying to get that passed for 10 years. The good news is uh, that's been worked into the overall framework of the farm bill. So when you hear the farm bill pass, well, then Massey's Prime Act to allow that local processing, opening up opportunities for farmers to be able to uh, uh, sell more directly, butcher shops to sell more directly, well, that will occur. The other thing he mentioned uh, is dealing with if you may remember last oh few months ago or so there was the fight over the debt limit, and Massey took a lot of heat because he was in the Rules Committee and he voted to forward the debt limit. He voted uh, to allow the debt to raise, and now he says uh, he got something out of it. There's there's some other aspects to this uh, when it comes to increasing the debt, you know, and the debt limit. You know, there is a real constitutional argument that the president doesn't have to ask permission from Congress to raise the debt limit. I know everybody talks about it. You're going to hear the national commentator sit there and tell you, you know, oh, you know, we got to fight on the debt limit. But the problem is, is that the legislature has control of the purse strings. They had that control, though, when they appropriated the money in the first place when they made the budget bill. Um, then after the fact, and, and, and there's some line in the constitutions that then after they make the budget, the president is to execute it. And if executing that budget means he has to raise the debt limit, then there is some belief that the president potentially a solid constitutional argument that the president doesn't have to ask to raise the debt. And so we somebody in Massey's shoes, you know that you could potentially lose any future debt limit arguments. Because, well, the president can just go ahead and raise them if you push it too high. So instead, let's try to get some concessions uh, in order to raise this debt limit. Let's try to get something out of it. And in that concessions that Thomas Massey got was the 1% cut. And a- as, as these continuing resolutions, we just saw Mike Johnson, obviously, put forward and passed, the Congress did another continuing resolution. And about April of next year, if these CRs, continuing resolutions, continue, then there will be a 1% cut on funding across the board. This is called the Massey Plan. So Massey, when he raised the debt limit, he got a writer in there that President Joe Biden signed in the law that says that if they're doing continuing resolutions still... Come April of 2024, which, I mean, they've just been passing continuing resolutions. They're going, everybody is going to face a 1% cut no matter what. And so you're going to start seeing people worry about that. You're going to start hearing national pundits talk about the Massey plan. They talk about why we have to get funding done, quote unquote, um, because... I will cover those issues. Another thing Thomas Massey talked about this event is obviously to deal with the Israel vote. And I know a lot of people are mad at Massey for voting uh, to not send money overseas to Israel. Understand this. Massey's never voted to send money overseas. We already send, I think it was it $3.8 billion a year to Israel. Each and every year, Massey never votes for foreign aid. He won't do it. He refuses to. Uh, He doesn't think our money needs to be going there, so he votes against it. That is his principle. That's what he's always stood on. It's got nothing to do with Israel versus Hamas or siding with Hamas. That's just where it sits. That is a consistency he's had. Now, you can bring up issues you have with Massey, and those are generally probably pretty – some of them pretty well-founded – but when it comes to this, you know, the 1% cut, that's, that's great. The Farm Bill, Prime Act, that's good stuff. And then obviously as well, you know, depending on how you feel about foreign aid, you may like his vote or you may hate his vote, depending on how you feel about it. You know, obviously I stick to the more Kentucky topics as far as it goes. You know, tomorrow we're going to talk about uh, taxpayer-funded lobbying. That's going to come up tomorrow. As we dig into your tax dollars, funding the government, lobbying, putting money in private lobbyist pockets to lobby the government to spend more of your money, your money, paying somebody to lobby the government to spend more of your money. Fantastic stuff. Good stuff. Great stuff uh, that I'm sure you really love and you want to see continue. Um, Of course not. You don't want to see that continue. That sounds awful. So today we talked about your money being wasted on this LGBTQ uh craziness and tomorrow we'll talk about your money being wasted on lobbyists and and going into private corporations grab on government. You're listening to the Andrew Cooper writer show. Feel free to email us at info@theandrewshow.com. At you guys have a great rest of your day. We'll see you back here tomorrow.